Good evening, guys. I'm Mark, and uh, this is E3, and we are in the third week of Start. Uh, we had the opportunity on January 1st this year to come together as a church and hopefully speak words of life and encouragement into one another to, to dream dreams of what this year could look like if we followed close uh, behind Christ and, and uh, just followed him with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, and loved others as ourselves. And then the next week, last week, we uh, came back and we talked about just overcoming those obstacles that we face when we are trying to go hard after God. The opposition, the conflict, the hostility, how to overcome the brutality of life so we can achieve and hold on to that life that, that God has envisioned for us. This week... We're taking a next step in this journey, in this journey of start, where we're going to be looking at a, at a, a letter, a portion of a letter, um, a letter from a guy named Paul while he was uh, in prison that he wrote to this guy named Timothy. Now, Timothy's an interesting guy in the New Testament. He was actually uh, the first of the second generation Christians. He had come to faith not because of the apostles or, or because he had an encounter with Jesus Christ, but his mother and grandmother were women of faith, these, these giants of faith, and they told him about Jesus, and he gave his life and, uh, to Christ and followed him. And through that, he met this guy named Paul, and uh, Paul commissioned him to be a pastor of a church. And through being a pastor, he came up against all sorts of adversity, all sorts of hardships. And Paul is writing this letter of encouragement to, to Timothy to, to encourage him to keep on going to fight the good fight. And I, I titled today... Uh, PFU, and no, that wasn't a dyslexic kind of thing that was meant to be FPU. No, it's meant to be PFU. And it, and it basically takes these th uh, three points out of this uh, small section of this letter to pursue, to fight, and to be unwavering. And hopefully as we kind of articulate and, and, and unpack these ideas that we will be encouraged like Timothy was encouraged by this letter. So if you open up your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6 in, in verse 11, it, uh, Paul's talking to Timothy and he says this, Pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. I love this word pursue. That, that it is an action word, right? And, I mean, the reality is, is that you can passively observe the religion of Christianity. We even have language for that, right? Like, we ask people, oh, do you observe this holiday, or do you observe this uh, spiritual or religious ritual? And observation doesn't take any uh, uh, commitment you don't get your hands dirty, and you can very easily passively observe the religion of Christianity. 
But while being a follower of Christ, it, being a follower of Christ requires an active pursuit. And I think that this is what, what Paul is, is telling Timothy. Saying, Timothy, that you didn't sign up for the religion of Christianity. You signed up to be a follower of Christ. And the reality is, is if we uh, call ourselves following followers of Christ, but we are not following in his footsteps, that Christ will fade off into the horizon. So I love this word pursue because it implies action. And he says, you know what? I need you to pursue these things, these characteristics that, that will bring you closer to Christ. The first one that he says is pursue righteousness. Now, righteousness is this idea of, of um, virtuous justice. Not kind of justice uh, like the back alley justice or, or political justice, but godly justice. This, this, this idea of, of, of being the, the advocate of those who have no voice. Virtuous justice is godly because it transcends the power structure and it sees people for who they really are as people who matter to God. This idea of, of righteousness is this, this selfless act of love to those who are not deserving of our love. But we love them in spite of everything else. And this is what he's saying, Timothy, I want you to pursue righteousness, but I also want you to pursue a godly life. Now, godly life is one of those kind of just throw away Christian words or phrases. Are you living a godly life? Yeah, I'm living a godly life. How about you? Yeah, I'm living a godly life. Well, good. All right, let's go. Let's go to the, you know, uh, Cracker Barrel or something. You know, uh, we just, you know, it's kind of this way. It doesn't have a whole lot of meaning. And, and uh, back in the 80s and 90s, there was uh, this, this, this basketball player. You may have heard of him. His name was Michael Jordan, right? Well, there was this kind of this, this advertising campaign that was going on, and it was to be like Mike. Any of you guys remember that? I want to be like Mike. You know, and, you know, to be like Mike, I mean, that... That communicated something because, you know, Mike was doing the Air Jordan thing and, and, you know, he's dribbling and, you know, whatever else Mike did. You know, you couldn't like walk in, you know, to a, to a house and some, you know, one of your buddies, you know, Bob is sitting on the couch, you know, drinking a Coors, watching the, the Bulls game, watching Michael Jordan, you know, and eating a chocolatey ho-ho. And, and you're like, hey, Bob, what are you doing? He's like, I'm being like Mike. You're not being like Mike. You're on the couch watching TV, drinking a Coors and eating a chocolatey ho-ho. Mike wouldn't be doing that. Mike's on the TV, you know, doing the exercise and the dunking and all of these kinds of things. And, you know, there's kind of this idea that to, to be godly, to be Mikey, you know, that the idea is to what? To be like God, to be like Jesus. And this idea, remember that movie Avatar? You know, that Avatar is a representation of, of the person controlling 
And the idea that, that, you know, Pastor Dan was talking about a few weeks ago, that we are to be icons of God. That we are to be avatars of God. And this idea of a godly life is to be like God, to, to, to be like Christ in action, word, and deed. To follow closely and to care about the things that he cared about. To love the people that, that he loved. To unite people that he united. The next thing that he said to pursue was faith. Now, the pursuit of faith uh, is the pursuit of tangibly living out the promises of God. Faith is the pursuit. The pursuit of faith is the pursuit of tangibly living out the promises of God. And this is what it looks like. When, you know, it's one thing to, to say, yeah, I'm a faithful person. It's quite another thing to live that out. See, we live in a culture that we expect guarantees with everything, guarantees and warranties. You know, we, we see the ShamWow guy on TV, you know, it's like, ShamWow, you can cut it in half. You can pick up the, 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 the cola. I hate how he says that. The cola out of the, out of the carpet and all this kind of stuff. And it's ShamWow. And, but, you know, if you don't like it, you can, you can send it back and you can get it back and you get your money and everything. And a lot of times we think, you know, all right, I will, I will purchase, I will move forward, I will do an action step if there is a unconditional money back, life back kind of guarantee. But that is not faith. You see, faith is this, this stepping out without the guarantee, just the knowledge of the character of the person who made the promise. And when God promises that all things work together for good for those who love him and that are called according to his purpose. That when the winds of adversity blow through our lives, we can crumble and get bitter or we can hold on to that promise and boldly step out in faith and continue following Christ as closely as we can. It also translates with, with our talents and with, with our time and our, <coughs> excuse me, and our money. And this idea of, you know what, are we going to step out in faith and say, you know what, God is the God of all of these things. And are we going to take this, this step out and trust him and trust his promises that he's going to take care of me and bring my priorities into line? Or am I just going to pay it lip service? And this is what Paul's telling Timothy. He's like, look, I want you to pursue faith. I want you to pursue action on the promises that God has given you. The next thing he tells him to pursue is love. Like pursue this, this idea of love, that God is love, God is a God, a relationship, and that I want you to pursue loving him with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength, and pursue loving others as yourself and be about these things. He goes on to say, look, I want you to pursue perseverance. Now perseverance, that also implies something, right? 
It, 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 it implies that, that there, there is a, a opposition to what you're doing, that there's conflict, that there's hostility. I mean, think about this. If you were, like, kicking back on, on the beach in the Keys, and, you know, you're sitting on a lounge chair, and you have a, a nice uh, umbrella over you, and, and you even have a couple of people fanning you, Someday before I die, I'm going to have somebody fan me. It'll be kind of cool. And they say I come up and I and I and I bring you a, a drink with you know crushed ice in it, not cubed ice, but crushed. I crushed it personally for you. And I put a little umbrella in it, right? And I come up to you and I give you your drink and I whisper in your ear, "Ma'am, or." Or, sir, are you persevering? Like, it wouldn't make any sense. Perse- yeah, I'm, perse- I'm persevering. I mean, this is tough. You know, no, perseverance implies that there, there's opposition, that, that there's conflict, that there's hostility. And he's writing to this young pastor and saying, hey, you know what? Persevere through these hardships because it is worth it. Because being part of a story that is larger than yourself, being the story, part of the story of God, even if that is one word, one sentence, one paragraph, or one page, is worth your life. So persevere. And then I love this next part. He says, I want you to pursue gentleness. Gentleness. Because there's all sorts of ways to persevere against conflict opposition, and hostility, right? I mean, you can think, you know, when somebody opposes you or has wronged you, I mean, there's all sorts of ways. There's, there's overt ways of, of doing it and covert ways. Like, overt ways is, you know, hopping on Facebook or, or, or you know, tweeting, you know, this person's an idiot, you know, they did this, they did that. Or, you know, taking your, your key and writing your name in their hood or something like that. Uh, I was actually, I sat down tonight. My daughter was here this morning. And the, this is the only notes that she, she took. This is, this, this, this is great. I'm just going to read this to you. Okay. Sugar and gas tank. Fast food application, that's a reference to, uh, we had a friend uh, that we used to, every time we went to a fast food restaurant, we'd fill out an application for him. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> Fork their yard. You know what that is when you get a bunch of uh, plastic forks and you just, you know, thousands of forks in somebody's yard? Yes, this is my daughter. Dish soap on lawn. Shaving cream on lawn, there's a theme here. TP them, or just talk bad about them on Facebook. Okay, this is a list of what not to do. This is a bad pastor's kid. So, uh, what, what, what Paul is saying here is, you know, these initial instincts to, to do these things, you know, to come up against opposition, conflict, and hostility, that, that you know what, 
that is not the way to do it. That the way that a follower of Christ does it and what sets us apart is to pursue this gentleness, this idea of peace that transcends all understanding. To be able to be hurt, but to respond in gentleness. I was thinking about this this afternoon. We've all been wronged, right? We've all been hurt. I mean, that's one of the kind of the universal truths that, that, that we, that this is a collective experience. We've all experienced somebody wronging us or hurting us or something like that. And, and we've responded in a lot of different ways, myself included. We've responded well. We've not responded well. We've released some things. We've held on to some things. I was thinking of all the, you know, probably hundreds of things that have been done to me. The reality is, I only can think about two or three. Right? The big ones. Each one of us have that in our life. You know, the, the one, two, or three things that, that, that came into our lives that just kind of shaped us and, and, and wrecked us. And I was wondering, you know, just this, this idea of, you know, how much those things burden us versus how, the, how light the other things are. Like, I couldn't even come up with some of these things that have happened in the past. I know they've happened, but I, I can't put anything to them because they're gone. There's been this, this proper godly response to them where, where I gave forgiveness and they received forgiveness and it was done and we moved on. And health and God was glorified through that. But the other things, you know, we carry in trying to remove those things and try to find a place of health and come to a place that where we can experience this peace that transcends all understanding and to pursue this idea of gentleness. He continues on in verse 12. He says, fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to eternal life to which God has called you, which you have confessed so well before many witnesses. Again, the word fight, this is, a, this is an action word, and it, it implies once again opposition, conflict, and hostility. And I love this word fight that he's, he's telling Timothy to do because, you know, if you don't fight, we have kind of sayings in our culture of what that means, right? If, if, if somebody just gives up, if they're fired, or, or if a team just gives up, we say things like, they didn't even put up a fight, Basically, it means that they just gave up, right? That they didn't even put up a fight. Or we say that they weren't willing to pay the price for victory. They didn't even put up a fight. They just weren't willing to, really, they weren't willing to suffer. And this word suffer, that, that, that in the 12th century, 12th century theologians came up with a word about this idea of willingness to fight, willingness to suffer, and we all know this word. This word is called passion. Now, our culture has distorted that word passion, right? 
Like a lot of times we think of passion, we think like, you know, and then everything increased. But that's not what the, the, the root of the word, it, it, is a, it is a word that is firmly anchored in Christ. And we even know this. We've, we've heard it, the passion of Christ, right? What is the passion of Christ? The passion of Christ was his willingness to suffer. And that's what passion means. When you are passionate about something, you are willing to suffer for it. When you passionately love someone, you are willing to suffer for that person. If you passionately love, you know, your, your job or, or, your, or, or your church, you're willing to suffer for that. When you passionately love your God, you're willing to suffer for him. And this you know, if we roll this back, this is what Paul's trying to communicate. He's like, have passion, have a willingness to suffer, to fight, to fight the good fight and hold on to the true faith. And then you will hold on to eternal life. So after he says pursue and after he says fight, then he says, look, I want you to be unwavering in verse 13 and 14. He says, and I charge you before God who gives life to all and before Christ Jesus who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate that you obey this command without wavering. This kind of this idea of unwavering, fighting the good's fight, pursuing these things that are righteous and godly and, and, and faith and love and perseverance and gentleness. In, in endurance racing, uh, uh, especially when you're running, uh, that unwavering toward, toward the goal, you go through lots of different stages. At, at the beginning of a race, you, you kind of like feel like you can hear chariots of fire. You remember that movie? You know, going through your head, you know, and you feel like you're running like a gazelle. Dun, 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 dun. You know, dun, 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 dun. you know, and you're like, when I run, I feel God's splendor and, and all that. If you haven't seen Chariots of Fire, rent it. It's a great movie. But that, that's how you all begin. You know, you, you, you start running, me included. Then you start to get into the journey and your legs start to get heavy. And you start doing things what, what, what runners call self-talk. I was doing a half Ironman down in Panama City, and, and I had a, a great experience with self-talk. I'm, I'm running along. I'm a terrible runner. And I'm, I'm going, and I hear this guy coming up behind me, and he's all like, you are amazing. How do you do what you do? And I'm thinking, man, if you're behind me, you are not amazing and everything. But, but you know, this idea that this guy's, you know, he's willing, he's self-talking. We do this, right? When we're up against opposition and conflict, we, you know, we start out in, a, in doing something. We feel great about it. And when it gets hard, we start going, yeah, we can do it. Yes, you know, I can do it. I'm amazing. How do you do what you do? And, and all this kind of stuff. And then the next stage in a race is where you're running and you're just like, you start looking up in the air for vultures. <laughs> and, and, and they start just circling and, and, and you start just saying, God, please just, you know, let the vultures take me. <laughs> and as you continue on and as the, the, the vultures, you know, mock you, sometimes 
something amazing happens. Another runner will come up alongside you. And they'll say, follow my gait. Now, a gait is how you run. It's your stride. And what you do is basically you, you give up on your, yourself and your strategy and your, and your race at that, at that point, And you just focus on the footsteps of the person in front of you. You, you submit to their pace, to their direction, and you just follow with trust that they are going to take you to the finish line. And this is what Paul is, is telling tell Timothy is, you know what, be unwavering. You know what, you're, you're, you're past the chariots of fire moment. That you're, you're past the self-talk, you can do it. You're, you're past the buzzards and you're past doing it in your own strength. And now you're at the place where you are going to experience God. And, and Timothy, follow Christ's gate. And if you follow closely, that he will take you to where you need to be. Now, Paul wrote a very different type of letter to a church in Corinth. And this will bring us to the Lord's table today. You see, in the church in Corinth, they had gone and done the, the opposite, that they had become great observers of the religion of Christianity. And it had gotten so bad that Paul wrote them this letter. And imagine if somebody, you know, that you really respected, imagine like if Francis Chan or, you know, Rob Bell or, or whoever, you know, whoever, you know, you really respect as a, as a Christian pastor wrote this letter to you and your community. Said, but in the following instructions, I cannot praise you, for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. Can you imagine I go punch Francis Chan in the face. <laughs> oh, no, that wouldn't be gentle, would it? No. I mean, could you imagine if that was said about your faith community? That, that you know what, you guys would be better off. You'd be closer to God if you didn't meet together on Sunday. Because when you come together, man, it, you do more harm. Than good. This is how far they had gotten that, that the founder of their church had said, man, you guys just you messed up. But then he goes through these things that they, they were off on. And he says, you guys get, need to get back to basics. This is what a lot of golfers do. Like, I, I don't golf, but, but it, you know, we all kind of have the idea that you're meant to take this club, right? you know, and swing it, and the little white ball's meant to go down and go into the little hole. Right? Okay, thank you. Okay, so, so when, when golfers are doing well, like, that happens. But, but sometimes after they've been golfing a long time, 
they, they start hitting the ball and it'll go off, you know, to the left or it'll go off to the right, you know, go into the trees or into the, the rough or it'll, you know, find itself in one of those little sand pits, you know, where I'm sitting with my drink and getting fanned. They're like, what are you doing, man? And everything, you know, this, this idea. And what they say is, I need to find my swing. Now, they can swing. Obviously, they can swing. They're still hitting the ball. It's just not going where they want it to go. And what they do is they get back to basics. They strip all the fancy stuff away. And they just go back to, okay, what is the bare thing that I need to do in order to be successful? And this is what Paul's doing. He's resetting. He's resetting, saying, look, here is the basics. This is the gospel. That, that, you know what, I want you guys to come, when you come to the Lord's table, this is what I want you to do. And I'm going to pass this on just as I received it from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. He's just like, wham, here is the basic kind of tenets of the gospel. That Christ came to show us how to live and showed us his passion. His passion was us that he was willing to suffer in order to reestablish a relationship with us. And that when we come to the table, it's not about hierarchy or who gets there first or who gets the most or whose house it is. It's about the passion of Christ. It is about Christ and what he did for us. So when you come, use this as an opportunity to get back to the basics that we were in need of a Savior. And that he, our Savior, loved us so much that he had a passion for us, that he was willing to suffer for us. And then he kind of concludes this idea with this idea of follow light. I've traveled quite a bit. And whenever I travel, uh, after a few trips, I have to clean out my, my bathroom toiletry bag and, and, and my suitcase. You would not believe the things that I, that I find. Like, I find, you know, kind of, uh, you know, different kinds of painkillers and stomach stuff and all sorts of different languages. I find all sorts of different toothbrushes and, and you know, mints and, and half-eaten candy bars and gifts I forget to give people and brochures and, and all of this stuff. And, and it weighs me down and, and 
Uh, you know, one time I even had a, 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 a like a tinfoil wrapped uh, thing that I just like ate something and the tinfoil part I just threw in my suitcase and I literally got strip searched because I, they thought I was sneaking drugs into the country. True story. And none of that would have happened if I didn't take the opportunity, if I took, if I took the opportunity to clean out my suitcase and to clean out my bags to make sure that I was traveling light. And this is what Paul says at the end. You got to remember who he's writing to. He's upset at them. So the language is a little harsh. But basically, this is what he says. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the, cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking of the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. And basically what Paul is saying is when you come to the table, use that as an opportunity to clean out your spiritual luggage to throw out the bags that you do not need, to clear out the toothpaste and the medications and, and everything that, that you don't need in your life and get back to basics and travel light and to, in order to follow Christ's gate. You guys pray with me? Dear God, I just pray as we come to your table that we will be able to uh, leave this place refreshed to start anew. We thank you for being a God of restarts, a God of, of, of encouragement and love. And God, I just pray that we are not observers of the religion of Christianity, but we are active participants followers of, Christ, of you, that we will follow your gate and follow you to where you want to take us. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.